Morning again, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Glad you could be here. It's great to see um, some visitors here and our regular folks. Happy New Year to you. It's been a while since uh, Michelle and I have been here. It's good to see you. Um, you know, Satan has been unfortunately very successful in bringing uh, a very negative uh, response to God's law. And this negativity towards God's law, um, it's been embraced, unfortunately, uh, by quite a few people. And so today my prayer is that we will have a better uh, understanding of God's law when we leave, uh, among other things. So let's start with a prayer and then we'll move on. Father, we want to thank you that we're free to open your word uh, this morning and early afternoon. Um, we ask for your blessing upon it. We ask for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, that our hearts would be open, um, that we would understand uh, what you have uh, for us for a message, and that you would speak through me. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn to Second Kings uh, chapter 7, that would be great. There are some Bibles there in the pews for you, uh, if you don't have one with you. 2 Kings chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading in verse 3. This is a story that many of you are probably familiar with. It's a very interesting account in Scripture that I think we'll get some lessons from. It'll be helpful. 2 Kings chapter 7, are you there? Okay, verse 3, it says, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we, if we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall into the host of the Syrians, and if they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the great even the noise of a great host, and they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives." And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went in and hid it. Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we what? We hold our peace and if we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. 
So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. So here we see the sinful condition of man. We see the battle with self. We see the need of a Savior. We see the blessing of God symbolically represented and and other lessons. So the the results of sin are clearly and appropriately uh, represented by the lepers. They're dying from the soles of their feet to the top of their head. Um, They're really being devoured. That's what leprosy does, basically. It just eats a person up. And sin does that, doesn't it? I, I've seen it. Um, it was devouring me before um, I surrendered to the Lord many years ago. Sin destroys people. And it's generally a slow process. And you know, the Bible tells us clearly that sin is the transgression of the law, the breaking of the law. Now, there are even Adventist teachers that uh, preach contrary to that. The Bible is clear, right? We believe the Bible. That's the foundation, right? Sin is the transgression or the breaking of the law. So there's a famine in the land here in Second Kings. And God's people are suffering inside the city walls. And they're facing an enemy on the outside. And if they remain in their current state, they will perish. They just stay there. They will perish because there's no food. But the lepers are worse off. I want you to think about it. Uh, They've been shunned for their condition and they're outcasts from everyone else. And so they reason to themselves, what do we have to lose? Right? Why are we sitting here until we die? Meanwhile, God intercedes for his people, for his sinful people, right? On behalf of sinful man, he intercedes. He sends the company of the Syrian army retreating, and he makes sure they leave everything behind. You know, it wasn't like a messenger came and said, hey, they've, they've got a vast army. They're going to be here in 12 hours. We better pack up our stuff and leave. No, the, the miracle that God does scares them to death, and they just like, let's get out of here. And they leave everything behind. That's what the Bible says. It's it's an amazing thing. And the message, very simply, is God is on your side. God is on the side of his people. So the lepers leave uh, the gate of the city. They enter the camp of the Syrians. And they find that the danger is gone. But an even greater enemy lurks. I don't know if you noticed it when we were reading those texts. But self and selfishness are the greater enemy. And you can see that in verse 8. It says, And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and they ate and drank, carried away silver and gold and clothing. They went and hid it and they came back in again. And entered another tent and carried thence also. (laughs) That actually kind of struck me as funny because 
these guys are facing certain death and they're heaping up riches. You know, it really, it's, it shows the, the sinful nature of mankind, right? Certain death is waiting them because of that plague of leprosy and they're heaping up riches, material possessions, and they go back for more. It's bad enough that they did it once and they go back for more. But as they're going tent to tent, to tent they fall under conviction. At least one of them falls under conviction. And he says, we do not well. We're not doing well. This is a day of good tidings. And what's another way of saying good tidings? Good news, right? We've got the good news here. And if we tarry till morning light, something bad is going to happen to us. In other words, we're going to pay the price for our selfishness. If we keep this secret to ourselves, if we keep eating and drinking and, and hiding gold and silver and nice clothes and don't tell our brethren, we're going to suffer. And he goes on, now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Because if you go right to the top, it'll get disseminated to everyone else. So a few of the things that uh, we could recognize. Sin is a dreadful scourge, just like leprosy. It's a blight. And if it's left untreated, it will destroy you and me completely. And sometimes it's a, it's a, a very slow process, slippery slope. Self is at the heart of all sin. I think we can agree on that. But there is a remedy. Uh, There's a cure for this deadly plague. Um, But we have to learn it. We have to accept it. You know, knowledge is not enough, right? We have to accept it and implement. We also have to share it, right? Aren't we called to share the good news? Yeah, good tidings. We're we're called to share them. Um, And if we keep it to ourselves, like the leper said, we're... Uh, we don't do what is right. We're not doing what is right if we keep it to ourselves. So you see, the lepers found salvation um, from God. He saved them from starvation, didn't he? And he saved them from the Syrian army. Because the Syrian army was standing between them and uh, preventing them from getting what they needed to survive. And they recognized that the first thing they needed to do was share, share the good news. So what is the remedy? What is the cure for this deadly plague, this disease that we call sin? Well, in Desire of Ages, page 350, in one concise sentence, she sums it up. The great physician who can cleanse the soul from the leprosy of sin. That's the solution. Christ is a solution. We'll see that hopefully as we go on. So consider the uh, scripture reading there in Romans. Um, I want you to go there. Romans chapter 7 and verse 12. I want you to consider this. It's a verse we've heard many times, but keep in mind um, how I, what I said at the beginning. You know, Satan has been very successful in bringing a negative cloud over the law of God. It is in some way a, a bad thing even in the Seventh-day Adventist church. There are well-known people who are preaching against God's law. And we're going to see what a mistake that is. So verse 12 of chapter 7 in Romans, it says this, Wherefore the law is what? It's holy and the commandment is holy and just and what? And good and good. So the law of God 
um, and I'm kind of just getting to the punchline here right away. The law of God presents the character of God. That's how we can say that it's holy, just, and good. Because it presents the, the loving, honest, true character of God. While at the same time, Satan is presenting a negative character of God, right? And there's many things that he, that he is uh, teaching the world that are false. You know, that God is a tyrant. He can't wait to destroy you, etc., etc. Right? You know, the, the unholy doctrine of hellfire, you know, that certainly tarnishes the character of God. You know, that there's a place of eternal burning uh, for 70 years of bad behavior. You know, but the, the law, the Bible tells us the law, it presents the character of God, the true, honest loving character of God. Ellen White said this, she said, placing the righteousness of Christ in the law distinctly reveals God in his true character and reveals the law as holy, just, and good. Glorious indeed when seen in its true character. So I want you to think about that for a minute. If you look at the Ten Commandment law and imagine that every person on this planet always kept the law, this would be heaven, wouldn't it? Right? And it was heaven until Eve and then her husband decided that the law couldn't be trusted. And you see where we are today, right? It, we, you can't imagine that it could get uglier and then tomorrow you'll read something or hear something and you say, wow, we have gone even deeper in, in sin in this world. The law presents the true, honest character of God. And that's what we need to see, and that's what we need to share. Because it shows uh, the love of God, as I said, his character, and it offers fallen mankind another option. An option other than what Satan has to offer. Because Satan says, listen, the pleasures of the world will medicate this emptiness that you feel. Right? And we have more... Uh, so-called entertainment in this country than anywhere else in the world, and we're one of the most depressed societies on the planet. It doesn't work, but we just keep trying. So remember also that the standard of God's law is eternal. If it wasn't eternal, in the garden, God could have made a change. We said, oh, that was a mistake. We'll just erase that. We'll make a change here in the law. But you can't change the character of God. And if the law is a representation of the character of God, he can't be changed, right? We know that. So the standard of God's law is eternal. It presents to each of us what our heavenly home will be like. It's a taste of what Eden was like before the fall. You can get a taste of that. It's like, wow, I, I, I I can kind of picture what it's like. So consider where you were when the Lord was able to reach you. You know, we sometimes will hear someone say, oh, I found the Lord. No, you didn't. See, he's always been looking for you. I mean, he knows where you are. He's always been trying to reach you, and you just responded is what you did. But um, so consider where you were when, you, when the Lord reached you, when, when, you were, when you responded to him, Right? When, when you understood the love of God and were converted, it was a taste of heaven. At least it was for me. You know, it may be more difficult for those who have grown up in the church, uh, never experienced 
the evil in the world, never were caught up in that bondage of sin. And praise the Lord that you've never been exposed to that. Um, but for someone that, you know, didn't, I was ignorantly in the world, and it was a taste of heaven for me when, when I was converted. So Christ and his love are embodied in the law. I can't say that enough because it's so important. So I'm going to give you an example. Now, let's say that I held up in front of you a painting of the Mona Lisa, and it was an original painting, and uh, I held that up, or the Last Supper. Many of you would be able to recognize the creator of those works as who? Leonardo da Vinci, that's right. So in the same way, because Christ is the author of the law, he is represented by it, identified by it, he's embodied in it, right? You don't give credit to the Mona Lisa or the Last Supper to anybody else. You recognize immediately, whose work is that? Who does that represent? Who is that? And so in the same way, Christ being the author of the law, he is represented in the law. So if you have Christ, you have his perfect law. So how can a Christian try to push the law aside? In doing so, you are pushing Christ aside. He's the author of the law, and the law represents his character. So if we're looking, we will see Christ in the law, the title of our message today. Did you know that today, even, God is still using his church to make known his purpose on the earth? God's converted people um, actively heralding the cross. They're going from place to place. They're sharing the character of Jesus in the law. Uh, all of the truths that we embrace from Scripture, you know, the three angels' messages that embody the everlasting gospel, which is Christ in the law, by the way. There's people, they're going out. They're preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus. That is actually happening. That's happening, and it's being successful in, in many places. And believe it or not, in, in many parts of the world, the standard of God's law is being exalted. And in doing that, you're exalting who? You're exalting Christ. Don't let anyone tell you that the law doesn't matter. Don't let anyone tell you that the law is a burden. Don't let anyone tell you that if you talk about the law, you're a legalist. That's a lie. That's a lie. What is the remedy, the cure for this deadly disease that we need to share? Christ in the law. No question about it. So if you embrace Christ, you're embracing the law. It's a natural thing. It's how his kingdom is built. It's how his kingdom functions. It's the reason that there was a eviction from heaven many centuries ago. Satan and his angels had to be evicted because his his heavenly kingdom functions on the law because it's a law of love. It's a beautiful thing. Acts, um, in, in sharing with others, I want you to, to, to look at Acts uh, chapter 1 really quick. Acts 1 and verse 8. You're familiar with this verse probably, but let's look at it. Acts 1 and verse 8. And we're thinking about now about sharing 
this truth, Christ in the law. Verse 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the what? Of the earth. That's right. And then in Joel chapter 2, the Bible tells us that, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on your men servants and on your maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the Holy Spirit is going to be a big part. He's going to take a very special role in this end time work. Without the Holy Spirit, we could have all the knowledge of Scripture and we can tell people about it and nothing will result from it. See, the Holy Spirit has to touch the heart of of the sharing individual and the receiver in order for there to be success. And I just think about my experience. It was not until the Holy Spirit was able to reach me that I would accept the three angels' message. I wasn't ready until I was ready. Till I, till I let the Holy Spirit in. That's basically what it amounted to. So in Acts chapter 2, the first 11 verses, um, we see an amazing thing. We, we refer to it as Pentecost because the Bible refers to it that way, the day of Pentecost. And In verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, do you remember, what did Jesus tell them to do before he departed? Right? Wait. Wait, pray. That's very true, right? He didn't want them to go out on their own without an infilling, outpouring of the Holy Spirit because it would be of no avail, right? So they have this upper room experience and they're of one accord in one place. They're unanimous. They're single-minded about what needs to happen. They've resolved their differences, so very important. And the Holy Spirit is poured out and then thousands accept the message. That's what we're going to see. In the last days. And we can be part of it if we have Christ and have Christ in the law. So the Lord wants you and I to share Christ in the law and the wonderful works the Lord has done for you. And in order to do that, you and I will have to have a personal testimony, a personal experience. And without that, obviously, you'll have nothing to share Nothing that the Holy Spirit can use to touch the listener's heart. Now, remember, there's two types of conversion. There's that that amazing conversion where you're deep in the pits of hell and God reaches you and you have this wonderful uh, testimony. It's like, wow, you know, I was this and this and this. And God's grace, by God's grace, you know, all of those things are in the past. And then maybe you've grown up a Christian. And you don't have that powerful thing to say. But you know what you can do? You can go to Romans chapter 5. And if you're in Acts, you're very close there. Go to Romans 5, and I just want to share something with you. You know, our children have grown up in the church. They never smoked a cigarette, a joint, never drank a beer, 
hard liquor, never cussed and swore, never womanized, never did anything the world is doing. And so they may not have that powerful testimony that some people have, but they have this, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So someone growing up in the church can share those verses as their testimony. Because we're all sinners, right? The Bible says that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So even though you may not have been in the world, you're a sinner, right? You can't say, oh, I was a heroin addict. I lived in the streets and, you know, God raised me up. And those are powerful stories that people have. But you can say, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. It's so important. We can speak of how God exhibited his love for us 2,000 years ago. How he suffered for you. How he died for you. How he intercedes for you in heaven. And you know, I, I venture to say that that's a painful experience for the Lord. Right? To see what we do. And to see us do it again. Right? And see us lose our patience again or say that hurtful thing again. And, and I think that's painful for God. It's like, man, if they would just trust me. So he's doing that. We can share that. We can say, you know, God is patient. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, the Bible is full of things that we can share with people. We can tell them how the Godhead is tirelessly at work to save us, to keep us on the narrow path. You know that all heaven is interested in that, right? All heaven is interested in that. And the Lord is working. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants us all in his kingdom. We should share that, how we've received forgiveness, right? All manner of sin shall be forgiven, man. So it doesn't matter how bad your sin is, right? The Lord will forgive you. Share how sin separates us from God. And sin is the transgression of the law, right? Without Christ, if, we don't, if we're not reconciled, if that separation is not corrected, we'll be lost. It's very simple. Sin has separated us from God. And through true confession and repentance, we can be reconciled to Him. If we slip, go right back. Don't wait. Try to make yourself better. Go right back. Because His arms are open. He's waiting. Share how the true character of Christ is embodied in the law. You should be able to go right through those commandments and say, do you see the love of God there? I do. I see the love of God in all of those. Go to Romans chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. Are you there? 
Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of who? Of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Or we can remain silent about that. Because the Lord's not going to force us. But he wants us. He wants us to share the good news. Doesn't want us to remain silent. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, 21. Again, verses we're pretty familiar with most of us. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, remember, Christ in the law, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. And that word propitiation, it translates mercy seat or an atoning victim. Okay? So, through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, verse 26, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. We should not, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, It's a demonstration of the great power of God to save us. The gospel is a demonstration of the great power of God to save us. You know, we can do simple stuff and say, wow, he did a great job on that. It's the tough stuff that gives glory to God. The great miracles that that man cannot take credit for that brings glory to God. Look at how hellbound those people were. Look what God did. And now they're on the road to heaven. It's beautiful. Righteousness comes from God by faith in Jesus Christ. Very clearly. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we're justified. We're forgiven. We're made right freely by His grace through faith in Jesus. So this is from Review and Herald, um, June 4th, 1895. The righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. Now, that means credited or considered. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. That means conveyed or given. The first is our title to heaven. The second is our fitness for heaven. By faith, the Lord not only declares us righteous, but he makes us righteous. All right, go to Matthew 19. We're almost done. We're doing pretty good time-wise. Matthew 19. And we're going to read we're going to read starting in verse 16.
Matthew 19, 16, And behold, one came and said unto Jesus, unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, do what? Keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus says, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear witness, honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? So notice that this person recognizes something is missing. Right? Something is missing. And Jesus is going to point that out to him. He's also going to point out that he did not, in fact, keep the commandments. Um, But verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away what? Sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was not willing to part with his riches. Now, Ellen White spoke about this this very uh, account in Scripture, Matthew 19. Now Christ touches the plague spot of his heart. Jesus says, come, follow me, and ye shall have life. Now he had not kept the commandments at all. He should have accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and taken hold of his righteousness. Then, as he had the righteousness of Christ, he could keep the law. Do you see that? If you have Christ, you have the law, and certainly the ability to keep it. The young ruler could not trample that law under his feet. He must respect it. He must love it. Then Christ would bring divine power to combine with man's efforts. Christ took upon himself humanity for us. He clothed his divinity, and divinity and humanity were combined. He showed that the law, which Satan declared could not be kept, could be kept. Christ took humanity to stand here in our world to show that Satan had lied. And Satan is still lying, and Christians are still believing the lie. He took humanity upon himself to demonstrate that with divinity and humanity combined, man could keep the law of Jehovah. Separate humanity from divinity And you can try to work out your own righteousness from now till Christ comes, and it will be nothing but a failure, she says. And people are trying to do that in droves. And and the reason that they're trying to do that is because they believe the lie that Satan has told, that the law has no part. By living faith, by earnest prayer to God, and depending upon Jesus' merits, we are clothed with His righteousness, and we are saved. And that's from Faith and Works, pages 70 and 71, in case you want to look at that and read further. So combining our humanity with Christ's divinity was the answer for Jesus. And, And the answer is the same for us, but different. We combine our humanity with His divinity, right? He came as divine. He set His divinity down. He didn't tap into a power that we don't have. But what did he do? He prayed and he trusted in the Lord and, and he relied on him. And sometimes he prayed all night and sometimes he sweat great drops of blood, right? 
we got to do the same thing. That's how we get divinity. By claiming God's promises, by trusting in Him, and by prayer. And so now humanity is combined with divinity, and we can have the same success that Jesus had. It's amazing. It's good stuff. So we need to get connected with God, with Christ, and embrace His law. You know, you could look at those Ten Commandments as Ten Promises, right? And, and we oftentimes should, right? Because you can. You can claim them as promises. They appear that way if you look at them correctly. I'm going to just share a couple verses as we close here. Um, Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Paul says, in whom we have redemption, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now go to chapter 2 and look at verses 8 and 9. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we could share our personal testimony that proclaims that we have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that it's a gift of God. That's right from Scripture, isn't it? Okay. That we have redemption through His blood. In other words, because of what He did on the cross, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. See, if Jesus didn't die... We couldn't be forgiven of our sins. And we should tell those that we care about, that we're sharing with, that are lost, no one needs to walk another step carrying the weight of guilt and condemnation that unforgiveness brings. But people are doing that. They're weighed down by it. That's why they're medicating, self-medicating. That's why they're seeking the pleasures of the world to just deaden that feeling that they have, that guilt. They may not even recognize it as guilt. They just know they feel empty inside. We need to share it. And share that by getting connected with Christ, His law becomes, becomes holy, just, and good. So don't remain silent. Be like those lepers. Proclaim the greatness of Christ in the law. And let's finish the work. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, are in awe of your greatness, of your patience, your love for us. While we we're yet sinners, you died for us. And we're just, uh, when we think about that, when we contemplate that, it brings joy to our hearts. Um, but also, bewilderment sometimes or we can't understand why you would do it but you've done it and lord it is the gospel it's the good news it's the good tidings and lord we we understand that sin is a plague like leprosy and it will destroy us um, so lord we need jesus um, and we want christ in the law we want to see your law for what it's truly like and, and what it means to us uh, demonstrating and and teaching us the character your character character of heaven, 
And so, Lord, bless each person here, each family represented, the young and the old, our, our little people that are here. They can understand the gospel. And, and Lord, as we go from here, may we uh, look for opportunities to share uh, to a world that is dying in this cancer of sin, this leprosy of sin, and trying to fill a void that they're not going to be able to fill with anything but Jesus. And so we give you the praise and the glory. We thank you for your law. Uh, it is going to make heaven, it's, it's, it makes heaven a safe place to be. And we look forward to that. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.